Welcome to Frontier 3, presented by PatSnap. In this 20-episode podcast series, we will be unpacking the innovation ecosystem of Web3. From tokenized physical goods to the digital assets and smart contracts that will build the metaverse, Web3 is one of the biggest technological and socioeconomic paradigm shifts in history. Join PatSnap's co-founder, Ray Chohan, for a fascinating deep dive into how Web3 will fundamentally change how we live, work, and play. Welcome to Frontier 3. Hi there, and welcome back to episode 14 of Frontier 3 presented by PatSnap. In today's episode, our host, Ray Chohan, sits down with Ken Chia. Ken has over a decade of experience in finance and crypto. He was most recently with JP Morgan, where he independently managed institutional and private client portfolios in the Southeast Asian markets. Since 2018, Ken has been building in the cryptocurrency ecosystem. Currently, Ken is growing out the APEC business for Abra, the world's premier crypto wealth management platform. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation with Ray Chohan and Ken Chia. Enjoy. Today's episode is brought to you by PatSnap. Learn how to unlock your limitless innovation potential with connected innovation intelligence. CII is an AI-powered technology that comes through millions of disparate data points, segments them by industry and relevance, and weaves the insights together to create a meaningful narrative. The result? A holistic 360-degree market view where you can easily spot risks, identify opportunities, and accelerate the pace of innovation. We created the definitive guide to connected innovation intelligence to give you an in-depth understanding of how CII can help your business innovate better. If you want to grab a copy of this, head over to patsnap.com or click the link in the description of this podcast to get it today. Now, without further ado, let's jump right into today's episode. Ken, welcome to Frontier Free. Uh, super pumped to have you on the show today. I've been a, a big fan of Abra, so observing from a distance what you guys have been up to. Uh, and Ken, it'll be great to kick off with your background story and your wonderful journey into digital assets. Yeah, Ray, thanks for, for having me on the show. Um, so in my previous life, I guess, I used to be uh, in what people know as traditional finance. So I used to be a banker. And most recently, I was with uh, JP Morgan uh, and in banking for a total for about uh, seven years or so. Uh, and then I moved into a crypto in 2018 uh, to help uh, an ex-colleague who, uh, to keep the long story short, he had invested into uh, a company, an exchange that was uh, based in Indonesia, uh, became uh, really big very quickly and needed help to to grow uh, the, bis the offshore business uh, in Singapore. So I came on board in 2018, and that's kind of how I started my journey into uh, digital assets and crypto. Not something that I had planned, uh, but have been around since. Wow, because I really want to put a pin in this part, because we're now seeing so many professionals who are traditionally from TradFi, mm -hmm. so investment banking, now making this huge leap across to digital assets, stroke Web3, stroke being in the world of the blockchain primitive so 
you're at JP Morgan, which is a, a phenomenal, phenomenal name. And I'm guessing a, a dream name to be at considering your background and, and, and what you studied at Monash University. But what was that specific moment for you personally, Ken, which made you jump across to uh, Tokonomy and get into this world? Was there something specific which made you think, wow, this is the future? Yeah, to be, I mean, to be very honest, when I joined, it was more of a, you know, why not kind of thing, because at that point in time, I had spent, you know, seven years of my career in, in banking. I had for a couple of years thought about doing something else just because, you know, I think I was part of that cohort in finance that had joined after the financial crisis, I, after a lot of, uh, I guess, uh, interesting parts of uh, financial history had already been made. Uh, things were starting to get a bit boring, a bit overregulated. Uh, a lot of vanilla business that we could do could no longer be done. So I think the initial opportunity that I had with uh, Tokonomy, which uh, which was pitched to me as, you know, we they run an exchange. Uh, they're also coming up with an ICO platform, which I understood at the time as, uh, you know, the crypto version of IPOs and how to get companies and coins public to be a primary and secondary marketplace. That made a lot of sense to me from a TradFi perspective. Decided to give it a go. Uh, but even then, I was probably still learning as I, I went along. And I wouldn't say that I've been completely red-pilled. But I think when it came to 2019 onwards, that's when I really saw a lot of, um, you know, I guess, quote-unquote, writings on the wall where you see the likes of your, uh, at the time, it was Coinbase Prime or Coinbase Institutional and the likes of Ember, the likes of a lot of these very sophisticated market players coming to into the industry and doing things that uh, essentially replicated from from the investment banking or financial world. And that's when I saw the, I guess, my my version of the aha moment. And, and I knew that the big wave was coming. Yeah, because you, you take that leap of faith in 2018, where we're basically going for a winter at that time, weren't we? Where we just come off that crazy run in in. 2017 yeah to be honest to be honest in the first six months after i made the switch i i kind of had a little bit of identity crisis and you know a bit of a career uh i i I guess you started to reflect and think oh you know have i messed this messed this up completely or you know is this going completely down it was also a period of time where there were a lot of ico scams uh and a lot of noise rather than actual uh, developments in the market so definitely a lot of uncertainty during 2018 yeah, I remember it, it, we came off at like what Feb twenty eighteen, where literally we, that's when the winter started. But it's actually sometimes a good time to j- join, right? Because you get to uh, focus your mental energy away from all the crazy price action uh, and look at some of the fundamentals. So, so unpacking uh, Tokonomy, like you were there for what over three and a half years. What did your journey look like there? Oh, wow. That's a very loaded question. I think, um, you know, just from the nature of how crypto moves and how the market moves, um, every year was almost a different year to me. Uh, so I, I, I guess I, I can summarize it as um, in my first year, it was a lot of um, groundwork laying and venture building in the sense where we had to set up, you know, set up the company, set up bank accounts, hire people, get office space when we, you know, used to have an office space. Um, and a lot of, uh, you know, get working with lawyers, getting your AML frameworks in place because we were a marketplace. We were registering users all around the world. We were getting to know 
all the different uh, providers in the ecosystem, your KYC providers, your other exchanges, guys that you could work with, guys that you should stay away from as well. That was probably the first year. And then I think in the second year, it was a lot of, um, you know, expanding what we already built as foundations. And then, uh, you know, ramping up hiring, expanding in different parts of Indonesia. And then in the third year was a lot of uh, key partnership building, I would say. Uh, I, I think during the third year, closer to 2020, we, we started to see um, a lot of sophisticated players, like I mentioned earlier, come to the space, uh, such as your crypto lenders, your market makers and so forth. Uh, guys who have been building throughout crypto winter and, you know, I think plugging into to those kind of uh, uh, networks and, and plumbing is was very important and very uh, crucial for for the, the platform that I used to work for. And in a nutshell, what, what was the value proposition at Techonomy? What, what were you guys trying to build and offer to customers? Yeah, I mean, I think the name is uh, hopefully relatively self-explanatory, like token economy, tokenomy. So we wanted to create an entire end-to-end marketplace where people could uh, trade tokens, people could get, you know, fiat to to crypto and access all the different services that you can uh, within uh, the crypto space. So in 2018, I think uh, a lot of focus and attention was on uh, capital raising. So ICOs were, was something that uh, we focused on. We worked with uh, quite a few uh, large projects in Indonesia that wanted to, uh, you know, solve different problems in, in the, the ecosystem uh, through through their ICO projects. Uh, later on, as the market uh, developed, we also went into a bit of interest earning products, uh, a little bit of uh, derivative products as well. Uh, and and I believe now, uh, after I left, they, they're now into lending products as well. Wow, so they're, they're progressing nicely. And and taking a couple of steps back, I mean, a lot of our audience, Ken, are, are folks on LinkedIn. So product managers who are probably from Web2, but are getting enamored uh, by Web3 and, and flirting with the idea of making that jump across. Or loads of folks in the software space who could either work on go-to-market, marketing, and loads of TradFi folks who maybe look at you as a role model and go, wow, Ken's made that leap across. I want to do it, but but I'm quite nervous about the bigger picture. So just to set the stage and educate in a layman fashion, obviously digital uh, USDC, all the digital currencies are at center of what enables tokenomy? I'm guessing what enables Abra to do on on the other side of the fence when you guys work with with retail. So, in a nutshell, could you describe that kind of journey on fundamentally this space and and, and what it's enabling, which is very different from TradFi, just to kind of make that demarcation? Like, what is so special about this world, which you think will open up a, a brand new future? For, for retail investors, high net worth individuals, institutions? What, what are some of the fundamentals are that are, are the wow factor, in your opinion? Yeah, I think that's a really big question. So maybe what I can do is unpack it a little bit uh, to start, and then we can see how it goes. So I think um, the, the biggest wow factor for me is that um, there's so many, um, uh, you know, writings on the wall saying showing that uh, what crypto is today is very similar to 
say, the commodities markets or very nascent markets uh, back in the 70s before things like futures and derivatives were introduced. We're seeing a lot of that being built again today in crypto. So I think at least for people from, you know, the traditional financial world, this is a trend that I or analogy that I like to use. And that that is very exciting, especially for for people in, in finance. And, and I think that is that that applies or, or rather that ripples out to many other things as well. For example, if that is the case for crypto, then, you know, you start to think what else is possible within crypto. And a lot of the, the things that we've seen from your, you know, DeFi and NFTs, Metaverse, all these buzzwords being thrown around, I think a lot of them are still probably at the very, very early, early innings, not even close to being mature. Um, and on top of that, we have so many other uh, verticals that are yet to exist, I think probably in the next five to 10 years. That commodities and 1970s analogy, that makes a lot of sense. So what you're saying is there's lots of compelling upside for uh, building different products and different offerings in the market. And because we're so early, hence there's probably some really compelling upside for, for customers, but also the participants involved in the, in the whole chain. For sure. I think um, there there is just a lot of low-hanging fruit. Um, and, you know, those who are, I guess, a bit more involved in the, uh, I guess, the OTC trading or, or prop trading space, very active traders, they, you know, when, when they look at um, trends in, in the derivative space in crypto versus in traditional world, for example, I, I get a lot of comments from... Uh, uh, friends and ex-colleagues of mine who are, who are macro traders, uh, they would look at the you know the the term structure for options in let's say Bitcoin uh, or ETH, and or or even the uh, the futures uh, uh, structure and and compare that with something like op, uh, with FX or equities and you know the the spreads are just so wide that 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 it, it kind of it's kind of mind-boggling and, and that gets them really, really interested. I mean, those are just some like, I guess a little bit more technical, more, but but they're really very tangible, low-hanging fruit that gets a lot of um, people interested in the space uh, to begin with. And then of course, there's also the tech element, a lot of the different use cases, which, uh, you know, which I think are still developing as we speak. So the actual volatil volatility in this space on the underlying is actually a compelling opportunity, right? That, that that's what enables some of those big spreads. Is that, is that fair to say? Yes. Yeah. So that, that, that is, that actually is considering an asset class, which flirts close to a trillion dollars, yep. depending what day it is. Yep. That's never happened in history, right? That exactly. type of spread with that type of asset. So, but so just putting a pin on this because obviously us to get it right. We have been, hopefully red pilled right yep where where are you on the curve for your other adjacent peers in tradfi who really get this and who are aggressively saying listen i'm leaving tradfi this is once in a lifetime this is kind of what my uncle talked about at a dinner party in the 70s this is now <laughs> my this is now my time to participate right like are you seeing huge numbers or are people still sitting on the fence? What's Because the press sensationalized everything. Oh, wow, everyone's jumping across from Goldman, JP, and they're all getting into some form of digital asset uh, organization. But what's actually happening in reality, in, in your opinion? So I guess I can only speak uh, from my own experiences firsthand. And mm -hmm. uh, probably, 
uh, in the beginning of 2021, so early last year, I uh, started to see a lot of big news, you know, around things like MicroStrategy buying a whole bunch of Bitcoin, uh, one of the, the largest bank in Singapore, DBS, offering Bitcoin and crypto trading, licenses were being given out by the MAS. And that's when uh, I personally started to see uh, and witness uh, conversations with some of my uh, old network and friends who are, you know, calling me up for coffee or beer and saying, hey, want to pick your brains on crypto. I've been thinking about it. This is what I'm seeing, like the, you know, is really clear. Uh, and I think that those conversations have probably intensified throughout last year and, and the first quarter this year. So I have uh, personally uh, more than a couple of friends, maybe three or four friends who have in the last couple of months moved from, you know, very well-established uh, financial institutions and along, you know, at least 10 years in in finance kind of uh, career history uh, to, to join uh, crypto. If not already, then, you know, kind of still on having those conversations and, and uh, transitions on route. Okay. Yeah, we're definitely seeing that in Europe as well, in North America. It's, you're seeing it on LinkedIn every other day, right? Uh, yeah. Someone leaving TradFi and doing this nice, elegant post, uh, sharing the news and, and <laughs> setting the context, really. So it's kind of like free marketing, really. It's really powerful. And it's interesting when you talked about the 70s and the spreads. I, I love that mental model to just start to learn about this space. So it's interesting. I, and I thought, Ken, I'd love your take on this. Before we dive into Aberina in a few minutes, I just wanted to get your take on the on the current lay of the land. So yesterday, um, I was looking at uh, the average transaction size on BTC. It's changed exponentially, literally in the last six months, right? Mm -hmm. It clearly points towards its institutional participation. So it made me think that, wow, BTC now is just going to be an institutional play, right? With less retail participation mm -hmm. what that will mean is the ecosystem will really expand out where retail are more getting involved at kind of the alt level which they have been but maybe further tiers of the alt level nfts and how they can be programmed to become more of a financial tradable asset and have different utilities which then unlock a different uh, subset of asset class where retail participate. So do you see, are you seeing the ecosystem really expand out and, and, and do things which are surprising you and then offering new opportunities to, for retail to get back in because that classic BTC participation, which was there in from 2012 to 2018, that ship has, has seemed to sail now and it's evolving to something else. So are you also seeing that where the market's really expanding out? Yeah, for sure. I think, um, you know, back to the, the previous question uh, where I had friends from from finance who are joining crypto full time. I've also had uh, friends who are not from finance and joining companies like Play to Earn DAOs and, you know, all these kind of more frontier NFT uh, protocols as well. So definitely a shift towards, uh, I you know, the uh, the the other end of the the spectrum uh, in terms of the risk curve and, and innovation curve uh, uh, in in crypto, I think I agree with you. Um, and and here's the interesting thing about about crypto because crypto is one of the 
I think probably the only market where you it's it started with retail and then much later on, you know, institutions started to to come in and to to do arbitrage and to 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 get exposure. If you compare that to anything else in financial history, when it comes to stocks, when it comes to commodities, when it comes to bonds, they all started with institutions and then you know sold them. It's the other way around, sold them to retail. Uh, so I think that's that's quite an interesting dynamic within crypto. Uh, so yeah, definitely a move to away from uh, Bitcoin. Um, and I guess the other analogy I can pull up is a lot of. Um, uh, people in my in my network in my old network especially um, who've who've just come into crypto uh, last year so over the last two years uh, I think similar with a lot of people none of them have bought Bitcoin but instead they've you know gone straight into Ethereum into Solana into AVAX into all these uh, DeFi and yield farms like some of some of the things I've not done myself personally so I think it's it's quite an interesting interesting um, you know observation. Yeah, it's interesting. BTC is now going to become this, like, kind of platinum grade offering yeah. for the big, big folks, the Black Rocks of this world. And then, so now we're going further up the curve, and 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 it has, it's not even not even up the curve. It's up the curve if you were participating from twenty twelve ish, right? Yeah. For people who are new, this is just their entry point. They're not even thinking about BTC. So that narrative seems to have just evolved. It's this old news now, which is. Interesting, if you're a bit of a historian in the space, mm-hmm, for sure. So, so, so there's those points. So, so then going to Abra, obviously you're building something really special at Tokonomy. What made you jump across to Abra in terms of the, the, the company, the mission? What, what made you take that leap of faith to kind of build out APAC for Abra? Yeah, it was a really big decision at the time, considering I was a founding team member at Tokonomy and been there for three mm-hmm. years. Um, but I think, you know, as, as you start to, uh, follow the space and you, you're looking at trends in the space, um, the, so the market that I was, uh, in charge of and the market that we covered at Tokonomi and Indodex was the Indonesian market. So only one, um, I guess, local domestic market. We looked at a lot of, uh, IDR liquidity pairs and so forth. But then, you know, when you had the opportunity to, uh, when I had the opportunity to look at a more, you know, global player, uh, specifically in the lending space, uh, which is a space I've been following for, you know, a, few, a couple of years at the time. I've been in my role at Tokonomy. I, I um, had to do a lot of due diligence and work with a lot of different lenders to deploy our treasury and to make sure that we are utilizing our coins uh, and being capital efficient. Um, Abra was one of the players that we worked with. So I was on the client side uh, before I joined Abra, got to know the team really well, understood their risk management, understood the team. I got to know everyone. And then I think, you know, one conversation led to, to the other and it kind of made sense to take another leap of faith and, and you know, help a, a US-based uh, company expand into a new region in APAC. I actually think it's a really cool move, I think it's probably got huge potential in that region. And and for the Lamian folks in the audience, and actually for a lot of people, I was trying to explain this to my brother-in-law over the weekend and he just got lost when I was trying to explain <laughs> to him some of these new value props that Abra offer. And in the UK, we have something called Nexo. Yep. And his question was, okay, I deposit in fiat. Um, it's then converted to USDC or Tether. What do they do with that to give me the yield? 
mm-hmm. what's happening backstage and i was like i struggle to explain it to be fair with you because i'm not from this world right yeah so in a nutshell i think that's what a lot of folks are curious about yes i get this kind of i mean it, it moves right five to nine to ten percent yield on usdc mm-hmm. or or a stable or any other stable coin but what are you guys doing backstage to enable that and and what are some of the exciting things happening backstage which are making people move across from tradfi to this world so if you could just kind of unpack that backstage thing <laughs> yeah. that would be great for the audience to understand the the, the bigger picture sure so I guess uh, to start with, Abra's uh, vision is to really be to build a uh, honest crypto global crypto bank, uh, and I think we we very purposely chose uh, the term crypto bank because what we're doing is no different from what any other bank would do in the sense that most banks, you know, they gather deposits uh, from the public, the general public, and different clients. And then they then de- deploy those uh, deposits into other types of products. You get credit cards, you have loans, you you have all sorts of uh, FX lines and so forth to get a higher yield than your deposits. And and that's exactly what we're doing uh, with with Abra. But instead of with fiat, we're we're working with crypto. So the main um, bulk of our activities when we receive deposits uh, from clients into Abra, we would then deploy that out into the institutional lending market, uh, which is basically a market where you get sophisticated market players uh, across players like exchanges who, you know, they have uh, funding markets as well. You have market makers who may be looking to borrow to deploy into uh, delta neutral strategies to, to arbitrage. You also get parties like crypto miners who have a lot of, uh, for example, Bitcoin miners have a lot of Bitcoin and they're looking to access um, dollar liquidity without selling and to fund their operational expenses. So that's another group as well. And you also have uh, retail. So not just institutions, but also, uh, I guess, high net worth uh, crypto holders who have a lot of Bitcoin, a lot of ETH, a lot of crypto. Uh, and for a variety of reasons, they don't want to sell. They don't want to uh, realize that tax uh, event. Uh, and instead, they want to borrow against a crypto. And borrowing in, in, a, in a non-crypto world and traditional world is also a a very tax beneficial activity where your interest is tax deductible. So that's another use case as well. I would say that's the majority of what we do with uh, uh, client assets at Abra. And uh, to a much smaller extent, maybe 10, 15%, we look at uh, deployments into uh, different parts of DeFi. And I, I think that's a whole topic altogether, different topic altogether. But we look at the blue chip uh, DeFi pools where we are able to capitalize on higher yields when the market is, uh, you know, when the, when the yields are available, we, we look, we try to keep um, at the forefront of all the developments and, and deploy. I think the reason why uh, we, uh, up till today, we still keep quite a small uh, conservative allocation to DeFi 10 to 15% is because, you know, we want to scale up as we get more comfortable. As you know, things can happen in DeFi, uh, smart contract risk, you get protocol risk, key man risk, founders leaving protocols and so forth. So that's kind of in a nutshell, and uh, you know, happy to to unpack uh, any part of that. Yeah, so so, so it's that framework's really useful. So I think that, that really helps the audience understand. Okay, great. I, I make my deposit in fiat. It's USDC. This is how I'm getting my yield, and all the wacky stuff happening backstage. Great. Good luck to them. But this is why I get my yield. But 
obviously leverage in this space is pretty crazy right at the moment hence why uh folks are doing a lot of this arbitrage different types of strategies and it hasn't been regulated yet so do you see that evolving and becoming more contained because at the moment if you're really good at this it's a once in a lifetime opportunity right it is that 1970s commodities moment right hence why you've seen organizations like ftx absolutely crush it and various others but where as regulation kicks in more and controls around leverage other elements around covenants audits around code because i understand the d5 point as well why and i think abra's approach is brilliant really sensible and thoughtful do, do you see yields changing quite quickly because as more regulation comes in the more tapered things come off like do you see that changing quite swiftly i think it's a little bit of um I, I you know i think you can look at it two ways so regulations have always been evolving especially in the crypto space um, and being a, a market player, you're typically ahead of regulations in the sense, you know, you're, you're developing something new, you're waiting for regulations to catch up, you're looking for regulatory uh, clarity and so forth. And the crypto market and, you know, the, I guess the more uh, established players are typically self-regulating uh, uh, until such guidances uh, appear. Um, you can look at it from the perspective where with more regulations, you then get more uh, or rather less uh, uncertainty around regulations from your more uh, blue chip institutional type players, your pension funds, your larger traditional hedge funds, the black rocks of the world and so forth to deploy uh, into the space where it's regulated. And then you see a whole influx of, of uh, new new assets into the crypto space, which is great. Um, and, I th- and I think on the flip side, as you, you know, if you don't have as much... Um, uh, uh, regulations in the market that also, that also is, uh, you know, I think, I think the net benefit to have regulations is, is always good to, to bring, um, a more place in the market. But as more, I think to answer your question on, on the yields, uh, as we get more, uh, assets into the space, I think definitely, you know, with, with more people capitalizing on, on the opportunity and the high yield in crypto, uh, we don't know how long, um, the yields will last for maybe five or 10 years. But for now and for the foreseeable future, there are definitely uh, what I would call st- a structural shortage of dollars uh, in crypto for a whole variety of reasons. Mm. Yeah. I mean, thanks for that context, Ken. Yeah, I'm actually putting my slight biased red pill hat on here. <laughs> I actually see regulation is actually a brilliant thing for everyone because i share your sentiment then you're going to have the larger folks just ape in and go great i'm comfortable i now have a framework which i can take to uh the committees which run the mandates and we can actually do something now which is great but i think at the same time if and it's a big if because there's lots of execution if all of these dApps start executing against their wild statements and their dreams on what it offers customers, then the actual net GDP in this space, in digital assets, it's unprecedented, isn't it, Ken? We've never seen this in history where we've got digital property rights 
digital scarcity unlocking like mind-blowing use cases for the customer right yeah so if that starts picking up at the same time then those yields if not more are even there right because we're opening up brand new digital economies which have never existed in history yeah yeah so exactly so that, that's obviously that, that that's the bull case right yeah but do, do you th do you see that playing out like obviously there's a lot happening in the world right now it's so it's geopolitical we've got war in in ukraine and obviously we've had uh the fed talking about a taper so all these things converging it's quite crazy at the moment i'm sure for everyone right in yeah. the, especially in your world but playing this out over two three years do you see a lot of these daps executing against their goals which then converge with your world then unlock brand new opportunity what, what's your thoughts on that bull case when you when you reference DApps, I, I assume you're referring to uh, DeFi protocols and all these decentralized yeah, branding. Yeah, DeFi. What's the promise of NFTs? All the layer one and layer twos. I mean, even NFTs as a primitive are now adding adding utility where you can stake your NFT or get yield off NFTs. Yep. So it, it it's mind blowing on how this can expand. Right? How a lot of these collectibles can become financial assets that will then slowly probably seep into your world, right? In terms yep. of the market maker. So giving the market makers and all the people you serve more surface area to be creative and build more products. So, so that's where I, where I was heading. I, I hope that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think, I think um, the whole, you know, decentralized uh, and all these dApps uh, they're built, being built on a blockchain um, they're definitely the pioneers when it comes to uh, being right at the forefront of innovation uh, in crypto. So I, I think a really good analogy would be if you kind of uh, rewind back to 2017, the likes of your Kyber network, the likes of your uh, Ether Delta, you know, these kind of early, uh, I guess, V1 beta stage uh, decentralized exchanges were so nascent and they had a very strong following that you know, it was almost cultish. People believed that it was the future, but at the same time, at least in my my own personal experience, when I started to use it, I'm like, no one is ever going to use this. The slippage is so high. You know, you need to log in, log on with your ledger. You need to transfer on chain. You need to pay for gas. Like this is ridiculous. Why wouldn't I trade on, on on like Coinbase or Abra or or, or uh, Binance or something like that? But you know, fast forward to 2020, you, sushi sushi swap and Uniswap. You know. Decentralized exchanges are a commonplace, um, and I think we're starting to see kind of a repeat of uh, that curve of innovation. Where, with uh, I guess DeFi 2.0 and uh, NFTs, you know, to your point, getting yield and borrowing against NFTs, those kind of use cases, similar to the previous cycle in 2017, a lot of those early stage uh, innovations will probably die off, and that's just the law of innovation when it comes to startups and, you know, regardless of whether it's web 2.0, web 3.0, uh, but what's left behind is, is, you know, will set the stage for the next, um, next uh, level of innovation. Yeah. I'm, I'm quietly really excited about that because I'm, I'm already seeing some really interesting utility on the NFT side and, and DeFi, we were supposed to have DeFi summer last year, right? It ended up being NFT summer yep. <laughs> for the last 18 months. Yeah. But, I love what 
Abra are trying to do, I think your approach is really good. A, it's sensible because there is, you've got to audit the code, the founder risk. Yep. These protocols can blow up. So I think you guys are going about it in a really thoughtful way. And, but if you look at most DeFi protocols now, if you look at the 24 steps, it's nuts, right? Like my sister's never going to do that. Ken. Exactly. Like it's not going to happen. So that simple front end where it literally is two steps, but you have exposure to DeFi. How close are we to that? Or are you, are you a fan of other organizations that you think are doing it well? Cause I know Abra are on that journey, but how close are we to that world where it literally can be two steps and, and my sister go, great, I'm, I'm participating in DeFi for two steps. Like, where are we on that curve? I think we've seen so many uh, examples of, um, you know, I guess, CeFi companies trying to make this a reality. Obviously, at, at Abra, we're trying to do exactly what you just described, make things very simple, write in plain English, get people to just deposit, put your coin on Abra Earn and start earning right away. You don't have to, you know, do, do that 24 clicks or whatever it is, pay, pay a ridiculous amount of gas and double check your transaction a million times. Um, but I think we've, we've also started to see uh, trends towards uh, directly into Web 3.0. So um, I think the first phase was exchanges starting to, all, to offer um, their version of staking or their version of lending. Uh, and arguably, that's you know relatively centralized. You have to rely on the exchange and make sure that they don't get uh, hacked or they issue sanctions against where you're from, for example. Um, and if you look at the likes of, say, Coinbase with their uh, Web 3.0 compatible Coinbase wallet, I think that's that's quite an interesting development because what that allows is for people to use uh, or, or rather to smoothen the, the user journey from a centralized exchange and navigating directly with into DeFi in a, a you know, somewhat semi-controlled uh, and semi-secured uh, 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 fashion versus you know, uh, what, what the crypto natives are used to just using MetaMask and interfacing with anything on, on, on Web 3.0. Yeah, I, I think this kind of quasi CFI to DeFi yep. might just work because I think you got the old school gang saying, oh, it's not decentralized, blah, blah, blah. But you might have most of the customers saying, look, I don't care about that. That's not the outcome I want. Exactly. I, I want the yield and what's happening backstage. I don't care. And I've got to drop my kids to school now. Bye. Like I've got, <laughs> I've got a life to live. I don't have to think too much, but if you're getting, giving me a, a 12 to 15% yield, that's spectacular. Thank you very much. Yep. And I'll go with, so I, I agree. It's going to kind of head towards that world. And then you probably going to have people who are the purists and then they can probably take more risk and do their own thing. Right. And probably get a more of a compelling yield. So I think you might see the, the market, go from general user which is the big market to then always hardcore expert users but that's fine too as well right like that's always kind of existed yeah for in, sure in, 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 in many different industries so so obviously you, you see DeFi picking up now but looking at the wider surface area of web3 do you see some surprise factors popping up ken anything which is really creative where obviously you've got play to earn and what's happening with Axie Infinity. I was just thinking about this yesterday, Ken, before our conversation. I think we might be even underestimating how what can get financialized, what can be staked, 
what can earn yield? I think our heads can't even wrap get wrap around the concept of what can earn financial output, if that makes sense, because now everything's digital. Now you can program in scarcity. The value unlock is mind-blowing. So is, it, is there anything creative you're seeing in the marketplace where you're going, wow, that could actually earn yield or, and become a financial asset? Yep. You think on that front, which catches your imagination. Yeah, I think that's a really tough one to to answer. And it's always so easy to to look back in hindsight and say, oh my God, you know, such an obvious trend uh, with, you know, with DeFi two yeah. years ago and so forth. But I think, um, you know, there's this quote that I, I really, really like, which uh, describes a lot of what we've seen in uh, crypt, uh, innovations in the crypto space, which is um, innovations are, you know, overhyped in the short term, but uh, vastly uh, underestimated in the long term, uh, and and you know that that applies to so many things. Similar to the example that I I gave earlier on decentralized exchanges, overhyped in the short term in 2017, totally underestimated uh, in 2020 when the market came in and a lot of volume started flooding in, and today, you know we uh, or rather last year we 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 saw um, protocols like DYDX or you know PERP protocol basically. Uh, decentralized uh, derivative platforms, which in itself is a, a big, <laughs> a lot to, to, to digest in, in, in just three words. And it's, um, it's, it's one of those innovations that I, I didn't expect that will come so quickly and, and ship so quickly and, and run so smoothly. Um, but I think, you know, just today, there's just so much to, to keep up with in the space. I think to your point, uh, it, it's very overwhelming. It's uh, in a good way because you get people that are just building and more builders are joining the space. I don't have a specific uh, example or rather I don't have any uh, uh, shareable alpha that I can, I can share with you uh, on the, uh, the next wave of, you know, cause I think it's, it's anyone's guess. It's probably if three or four uh, hot uh, uh, narratives that a lot of these crypto VCs and investors are looking at and kind of just placing bets on each of them and you know hopefully one will take off yeah it's interesting I, I like the way you frame that ken like people underestimate things in the short term uh they'll hype them in the short term and then yep. they, they can't think the long term it's kind of that analogy slowly then all at once right yeah, yeah it happens exactly. it happens it happens in, in in so many different scenarios so on, on the plan for abra then what's the outlook for this year? Is there some new exciting product developments or launches that you can tease the audience with and any new things that everyone should keep an eye out from, from an Abra front? Yeah. I mean, um, not too much I can share, but you know, definitely keep an eye out on uh, products related to DeFi and NFTs uh, space that we're definitely keeping a very close eye on a lot of our top customers and top clients are, you know, very heavily requesting for services like, and, and, and different features um, but yeah, can't, can't go into too much detail, but I, I think definitely keep a close eye on the DeFi and FT space. Awesome. And, and just for this year, obviously we've had a, it's been crazy the last two months or so, right. And from various dimensions, but how do you think this year is going to pan out? Like in terms of just the space generally, are we going to continue to see adoption and increase in market cap or are we going to trade sideways for a long time or do you see a big correction i know this is really difficult and no one has the answer but just what, what's your, what's your general gut sentiment because i know it's, it's it's a guess for everyone 
Yeah, it is. It is a guess for everyone. And I think, you know, everyone is wrong until someone's right. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think it's in terms of uh, short term price movements, my personal predictions uh, for the next, I guess, until the middle of the year, it's it's, it's no surprise that uh, markets are very, very choppy uh, for, for the reasons that you mentioned uh, earlier on, you know, uncertainty, whether the Feds are able to 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 raise rates, uh, to, to combat inflation, which is exacerbated by what's happening in Ukraine and energy crisis. It's kind of like a, like almost like a negative feedback loop, like really, really, um, you just, there's no like easy answer to, to get out of that. So I think, you know, definitely very choppy for the next few months. Uh, and we've, we've seen that over the past few weeks as well. Um, and it's really anyone's guess. I, I, I don't really have a personal view on this. And, you know, there are many, the way I look at it is you, at least for the short term, there's maybe a few, um, uh, I guess, bull cases. And, you know, maybe they're able to raise rates and inflation is tapered down a little bit and wages go up and the economy is better, unemployment is down. But you can think of so many things that could potentially blow up. You know, credit markets are extended. You get the oil markets that are going ballistic. You get inflation going up and... You can't really raise rates because that would trigger a structural unemployment increase and so forth. You know, I mean, this is this is beyond the, I guess, the, the scope of the podcast. But I think in the long term, uh, crypto specifically, uh, when it comes to to your point, to adoption, to uh, more market participants uh, taking notice of the space, especially when it comes to uh, the lending and yield space, where you're able to get. For example, on Abra, we offer 8% per annum on stable coins uh, in yield per annum. Um, and I think, you know, as they understand the space, they they look at the, the risk and reward, what the, um, the underlying uh, risk is and how similar that is to something like a fixed income instrument. I think, uh, you know, I mean, this is just one example, but there's so many things about crypto that are attracting all sorts of new market participants. So I think in the long term, uh, definitely... Um, uh, bullish at upside. Yeah, I would chat. It's, it's, it's a moment to be patient, right? And just look at the fundamentals and all those macro forces that you mentioned, the, the, the interest rate challenge, what's happening on the war front now, supply chain. It's just to focus on the fundamentals and be patient, right? And continue to build. That's... Yeah. I think that's probably the healthiest way to think. And, and also focusing on Singapore now. So... I'm I'm a huge fan of the country. Um, here at Pat Snap, that's our, our roots. So, uh, our actually original one of our original investors was NUS in Singapore. So, it, it's very close to our heart as a region. But Singapore, Dubai, and parts of Switzerland are being praised a lot by the community. Right? Uh, even Bill. CEO of Abra is a big fan of Singapore and what's happening in the region. So, you're on the ground there, like what what are they doing well there from a government level and from a regulation level, which is making Singapore a bit of a, a wonderful hub for Web3? Like what, 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 what have they done right? Yeah, I think the regulators in Singapore, so the, the MAS, a Monetary Authority of Singapore, uh, they've taken a really, um, I guess, consultative approach. So I've been in the space since 2018, based in Singapore, between Singapore and Indonesia, I guess. Uh, and I think one of the main differences that I have noticed with 
Singapore and I get uh, versus other re- regional countries like Malaysia, Thailand, Indonesia, is that Singapore has taken a very consultative approach, very wait and see approach, and taking the time to really understand and learn um, the space uh, directly from market participants and industry players, a lot of regulatory roundtables and uh, fact-finding sessions before passing anything. Uh, and, I, and, and when you look at the, uh, the main regulations that pertain to crypto players, uh, the PSA or the Payment Services Act, uh, that's, that's, that was passed in 2019, but only really taken into effect uh, starting from the middle of 2020 and 2021. So, you know, they've really taken the time, eased into the conversation. And even after they passed uh, the bill, um, you know, still in that consultative um, um, mode and, and getting feedback from industry players, what makes sense, what doesn't make sense, what do you need? You know, I think that really sets Singapore apart. Yeah, basically a really thoughtful and mature way of going about it, right? Like not not knee-jerking, just being a student first and listening and learning and then making the decision, which is, I, I, I wish most governments done it that way. Yeah. Because <laughs> it, 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 just, it just makes a lot of sense. Are you seeing that generally in the ASEAN region or is Singapore a kind of a role model and an outlier for that approach? Singapore is definitely an outlier. Uh, I think when you compare with the likes of uh, Malaysia and Thailand, Indonesia, their regulations came out much quicker and uh, the frameworks were very prescriptive, uh, meaning to say they were very clear, these are the rules and you have to follow the rules. Uh, and we've seen that you know, in, in, in other countries in, in Asia as well. Um, but yeah, very, very stark difference uh, versus Singapore. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think Singapore generally have been great on innovation, and and yeah, we've um, I've had various exposure to working with local government there. It's been brilliant. It's like, it's like working with a private company, really, very smooth, very slick. Yep, a great UI UX. It's it to me, it's a role model for the rest of the world. But uh, but Ken, I've really enjoyed our exchange today. Uh, for our audience, where can people find you if they want to learn more about you and Abra? Where's the best? place for, for our audience to kind of drop you a message yeah you can find me on uh, linkedin or on twitter um on twitter uh my handle is i am kenchia so literally i am kenchia uh and then on on linkedin i think if you just search kenchia abra you can find me there uh i also have a uh, a blog that i have done a very poor job at at writing consistently um, but you can check that out at uh, ken-chia.com. Awesome, Ken. Well, hopefully we can do part two in Q4 of this year and see if where the lay of the land is. But it's been a, a great conversation and uh, look forward to keeping an eye on Abra and, and wishing you all the success for this year. For sure. Definitely, definitely uh, keep a lookout. Cheers. Cheers. And that is it for today's conversation with Ken Chia. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you did, be sure you're subscribed to the show. If you love today's episode, then share this podcast out with a friend or colleague who you feel like would truly benefit from listening to today's conversation. For listening to today's podcast, you can grab Pat Snap's number one best-selling Amazon ebook, The Definitive Guide to Connected Innovation Intelligence, where in this white paper, we explore what CII is, who it's for, and how the world's disruptors are using it to win in hyper 
competitive markets. And to get your free copy of this incredible ebook, all you have to do is go to the show notes section of this podcast and just click the link or head over to patsnap.com to download your free copy today. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week with another interview. Until then, continue to embrace your childlike wonder and stay curious.